It was cold. If they're cold, you're cold. <laughs> Wait. If you're cold, they're cold. If you're... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I became Scooby-Doo for a moment there. <laughs> yes, you did. rut row raggy rut row (laughs) oh no they had to take the scooby-o back and shoot him in the pen (laughs) (laughs) like oh no scoop (laughs) (laughs) oh god (sighs) palmer just biting windows his head off and somebody's (laughs) shaggy on the couch zoinks zoinks (laughs) let's get out of here (laughs) It's the sound of their feet. Mr. Machine stuck in the snow. <laughs> oh my god. This actually is a really good idea, and we should explore this further. Off microphone. to garbage film this is the show that seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common and you don't need to enjoy just one or the other so we will take our movie of the week and pair it with something artier or trashier and hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite or at the very least are entertained i am one of your hosts nick and with me as always is the decidedly human to my decidedly human aaron is here (laughs) hello Just two normal humans recording yep. a human podcast. Nothing yeah. to see here. I've been described as a perfect imitation of a human. But... <laughs> I have called you that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's episode 100. Wow. wow. I literally am so excited about this movie that I forgot the reason we were doing it. It's because it's number 100. So Certainly not in my notes. I literally just remembered. <laughs> <laughs> we're a cent- centenarian. Centigenarian? Uh, I'm both of those, I think. Isn't a centenarian just like a dog smells real good? Real well, I mean, sorry. Oh my god. I don't think the dog smells good. I just need you to know. What movie are we here to talk about? <laughs> One that involves dogs. Uh, that's why yeah, a I lot. Of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. Your brain's not reforming as we speak. Yeah. We're here to talk about what movie, Nick? If you're cold, they're cold. Bring them inside. It's 1982's The Thing. U.S. number 31 calling McMurdo. Urgent. Come in. Over. Who is he? He's Norwegian. Seems like they were spending a lot of their time in a little place northeast of their camp, about five or six miles. How many in their party? We started with ten. There'd be eight others left. We ought to just burn these things. Can't burn the find of the century. That's going to win somebody the Nobel Prize. Somebody in this camp ain't what he appears to be. Right now, that may be one or two of us. By spring, it could be all of us. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. But it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. God damn it, bring them inside is how we got into this fucking situation. I had that backwards. I am so sorry. (laughs) If they're cold, good. (laughs) I believe is the, yeah. I can can see Kurt Russell with manic eyes saying that. (laughs) Good. 
It's yeah, the baby. Thing. It's, it's the the thing the of thing. all things. We wanted to save up this one to talk about on a special episode, and what specialer time than suddenly there's a third digit on our episode count? Yeah. What it's... specialer time than number go up? Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Number go up makes me happy, so... As all... it should. Yeah. All of these things combined means that we're here to finally talk about The Thing. John Carpenter is one of both of our favorites, I think, and yep. The Thing especially, I believe... I can't remember who introduced... It to whom? But I think I think you showed it to me. I want to say. I think I did. Yeah. You loved it. Yeah, because we're both wearing thing shirts currently. I know, I'm so excited. One of my very favorite uh, like thrift store finds is a oh, shirt. Was a thrift store find? Yeah, it totally was. I wasn't even. I was looking for a Halloween costume, and this was out. And it's a a black shirt that has a sort of white like picture of just a bunch of dogs all mashed together, and red tongues are coming out of them and snaking around each other. It looks metal as hell, and I you love get- it. A lot of compliments on it. What are you I wearing? do. <laughs> yes. I find my people wearing this shirt. I find other people wearing this shirt. It's yep. great. Anyway. The thing brings people together. <laughs> Your shirt, if we may say, oh, sure. used to be, it's a good shirt for the movie because you can tell it used to be something, but it's not clear <laughs> and it's not that anymore <laughs> because you've worn it and washed it so much that uh, the Classic, like comfy shirt. Antarctic Research Base logo mm-hmm. is gone. Yeah, for the, the base at which we find most of our action. Indeed. Yeah. And what is the action, you might be asking? If you don't know what the thing is, certainly you must watch it. But I, this yes. is one of those movies that, like, if you are grossed out by gore or any of that sort of thing, or yeah. horror movie too scary. And if you, just, you don't like things that are juicy, mm, don't watch this movie. Or do. S- wet and sloppy movie. Yes, it's a slimy movie. For oh, slimies. 100%. Yes. Yeah. This and Alien both occupy the, like... That's, I know it's fake, but god damn, that's nasty. <laughs> like, that slot. Yeah, so I, this is one of those things of, like, you don't gotta pause and watch it. If you just want to know what happens in a, in, a mov- in a horror movie, these podcasts exist. We're all, we're all in this together. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, I wanted to highlight how this is written on the Blu-ray, because I, no, far be it from me to criticize others, but get a copywriter, uh, you guys. Yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> in the winter of 1982, a 12-man research team at a remote Arctic research station discovers an alien buried in the snow for over 100,000 years. Oh, so many tenses, yeah. so many object-subject relationships in the sentence that don't make sense. <laughs> no good. Uh, right. Once in Frozen, the form-changing alien wreaks havoc, creates terror, and becomes one of them. I'll allow that. <laughs> it's not as... Uh, <laughs> it's not great. The, it's not elegante. The... The pedant within me wants to really go to town on this. But see, here's another reason to keep doing physical media: is you can have you can hire someone to, to write these blurbs. Yeah, that that reeks strongly. Obviously, this isn't the case. It was done before, but like of AI, where you're like, yeah. this ain't right. Yeah. Speaking of things that can imitate but are not quite right. Ah, ah! <laughs> timely. And of course, directed by John Carpenter. Uh, we'll talk a lot about this later, but I just want to highlight a quote from one of the reviews of the time. Mm. Uh, John Carpenter disparagingly referred to as, quote, the pornographer of violence. What and in quote. God's name? <laughs> and that's just a teaser for a segment I have for you later. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's a long history of confused and bewildered reactions to this movie. John Carpenter is so just doing his own thing and making the movies he wants to yeah. make that I think it, it inspires this reaction in people of like, huh? Like sometimes it, it's yeah. perfect and people totally vibe with it and other times they're like, I don't get it. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> but this is, I think this is where he 
adopted that I don't care attitude mm. because he got so lambasted for a lot of stuff in here. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking too much about it. I want to save it for myself. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Teasers. But uh, the thing that I really like, I he wanted to, he came into this with, okay, I'm known as the Halloween guy. I want to make the mm. exact opposite type of horror movie. Ooh, okay. So like Halloween's all about not necessarily jump scares, but like, you know, here's a thing that you can see coming at you all the time. Like yeah. it's very... It's very obvious when you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, He wanted to make it just like a slow burn, no jump scares. Like he cut out jump scares that they shot. Um, He cut out really obvious scary things. Like there's a lot of footage cut out from when they explore the Norwegian base at the beginning. Sure. Of like, oh, a guy fell out of the air vent. Ah. Oh, sure. uh, Like, oh, there's blood on the wall. Oh, they're discovering bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Haunted house ass scares. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because they referred to that place as the haunted house of the movie. They actually did, which is, you, you nailed it there. There you go. But they, they wanted more of a spooky alley vibe than a haunted house <laughs> vibe. So. Nice. I like that. Where they're not trying to scare you, and that's the scary part. Yeah, leaving it all... I think it is... You, you nailed it. It's an obvious thing coming at you in Halloween, and the thing is all about what your imagination is doing to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just feeling unsafe mm. on, for your person but you can't like but point... you can't yeah, yeah yeah you can't pin it down so these feelings just fester in yeah mm. paranoia <laughs> got it so good screenplay is by bill lancaster and it's based on who goes there mm-hmm. by john w campbell who it's been uh, adapted previously we'll talk about that a little bit later oh cool but i like that uh, this is voted uh, by the Science Fiction Writers of America as one of the stories representing the most influential, important, and memorable science fiction that has ever been written. Oh, wow. Wait, so the, the book yeah. is that? Yeah. Nice, okay. It's It was like a novella, but in 2020 or 2019, they found like a full novelized version of it in oh. John W. Campbell's records. Nice. So I just want to nestle in on a spooky <laughs> cold night. But I, uh, I kind of skated over this toward the beginning but one of the reasons for the thing right now is the reason for the season it's nice and cold it's oh my god we're yes. getting the big snowstorms where we're at so yeah it feels we had like... a real mild winter and now we're paying for it mm-hmm. as you always do <laughs> and it is fucking bleak outside yeah yeah so a weather to or a movie to match the times indeed in more ways than one yeah mm-hmm <laughs> Uh, cinematography by Dean Cundy and God, do I love it. Oh boy. Give it up for Dean. Like I had forgotten how dark this movie is. Like, yes. It, it, Cundy's whole deal on this movie was he wanted it to make it as much lit by natural sources that you'd be like, oh, I see where that light's coming from on him. So like, sure. All the flares lighting up the people's faces when they're outside, literally you can't tell who's who. Yeah. Like, which, would Which or- is the point. Yeah, the point here, but ordinarily that would be, like, bad form. I suppose, but it, it's yeah. so it's so A, true to the situation, and B, true to the theme, so that it's, it's... You never are like, I can't see. You're like, oh my god, he can't see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, man, there's something about, like, obviously the outside is very, like, cool, blue light, all of these things. Mm. And it's that, and it feels so oppressive and cold and like it's stripping away all your defenses. One of the things I just fucking love about this movie is the sense of like, the environment alone might kill you. Yeah. There doesn't even have to be a thing. 
they, they might die up here on their own and like they're already in a precarious situation. Yeah. The lighting is so good. Like the way they capture that outside feeling of cold and is so good. I love the natural lighting aspect of it too because you've got all the lights pointing in at the base so that you just have this yeah, abyss. Just a dome of darkness outside. It's so creepy. Yeah. I yeah. love it. It's great. Shot in BC. Yay. British right. Columbia. Yes. Yeah. Northern BC. Yeah. So I'm counting it as a Canadian movie. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> can, con, can, con. Kundi also like, this is classic cinematographic. Whoa, ho, one more time. How many syllables? Cinematographic. Let's go with that. Cinema. What? Is that a word? <laughs> yeah, classic what you said. Classic cinematography. Cut all this out. Um, Absolutely not. I feel like I make that mistake every episode. The pains to like make all of the shots like capturing ceilings when they're inside mm. of like really claustrophobic and a thing yes. i love all the dog shots that we'll talk about the dog in a little oh, bit oh boy all the dog shots are almost entirely at his eye level at the dog's eye level so it makes it seem much uh, less here's an animal and more like oh here's, here's a thing that we're character. on the same level like we yeah. have the same we're seeing things it's through equal his eyes. to me yeah yeah Good Just, shit. Oh, so good. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, it's never like, oh, there's a puppy down there. You're like, you're in the dog space now. Yeah, we'll talk about the hallway scene in a bit, but it starts at a human eye level, and then it travels down oh, no. to the dog eye level oh, before he enters. Oh, god damn it. It's so well done. Oh, yeah. It's one of the creepiest entrances in cinema history, perhaps? Maybe. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> really, like, laying out all these breadcrumbs. <laughs> Just so excited about the thing. God, this better pay off. And- <laughs> The one last uh, credit I wanted to highlight is the music by Ennio Morricone. Which I always forget that it's him because it's such an intrinsically Carpenter-feeling score. Well, that's... It's kind of funny because Morricone's music, he wrote so much more music than is actually in the movie. Oh, um, okay. You can, like, okay. find his his scores online now for this. But there's, like, a full orchestral soundtrack for the movie that is not oh, used. Okay, okay. Uh, but Morricone basically wrote, like, three soundtracks. He wrote a full electronic one a full orchestra one, and then a mixed score. And Carpenter was like, I like the mixed score, let's do that, and then basically rewrote everything. Why? Classic. Carpenter, like, this is Carpenter's first big studio movie, and he's like, oh, studio bucks, I want to get Morricone. Uh, because okay. he idolizes, he loves Morricone so much. He had just gotten married, and all? they had played Once Upon a Time in America, Deborah's theme. Oh, you, fucking hell. Do you know it off the top of your <laughs> yeah, head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very pretty. Yes, it is. Um, but A little weird, bit of a dark Weird choice, yeah. <laughs> but, like, he played that at his wedding, like, a year before. This guy's on a, a pedestal so high that Carpenter was, like, afraid to ask him for things. Aww. He was just like, okay, thanks, Morricone. I like you, bye. I, huge, huge fan. Um, it's okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went and threw up and came back. So, like, Morricone never saw the movie until it came out. Like, oh, he had wow. never seen a, a bit of footage. Okay. So... Do we know how Carpenter pitched it to him? Like, how did he know yeah, to I, write that? I think he, like, Carpenter loves the story yeah. more than anything, too. So, sure, like, sure, sure. He, okay. he was super well acquainted with it. He could just, like, lay it out for Morricone, like, this is what we're looking for. Yeah. Okay. And Morricone, like, matched that pretty much bang on. So a lot of nice. what is in the movie is, like, 
the ideas of Morricone remixed by Carpenter and re re like performed. Like it's oh, as even, always okay. Carpenter on the synthesizer. I wondered, I was like, would he give up creative control to Morricone? <laughs> Probably the one person, the, right? Yeah, but if he was going to and like Morricone loves synthesizers, so it, it does That's always very funny to me. I know that he sort of, you know, we're digressing, but he kind of moved into a like exploratory, like Electronica. experimental space yeah. in the late sixties, seventies. Cool. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, and who are the players? The players. Let's welcome them to the stage. Um, breaking with traditional garbage form, I'm going to give you the character names of all these people, too, because nice, it does nice. feel like it becomes a... That's them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a lot of names. A lot of names and a lot of, like... Wait, who's that one? Yes. Um, yeah. Man who needs no introduction, though. Him and his beautiful hair. Kurt Russell is yeah. here. A glorious human, just at a at a peak of himself in this movie. He was actually the last one cast, which is weird. Oh. Go into the reasons for that in a little bit. But he was testing throughout and just, like, let his hair grow. It took him, like, a year and a half to get, like, that mane going. <laughs> nice. Um, but, no, he was the last actor cast, as until they brought him in, they honestly weren't sure if it was going to be an ensemble movie or if there was going to be, like, a hero coming oh. out of the midst. Yeah, 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 They're sure. like, we can't cast Kurt Russell in an ensemble movie. Because everybody's going to be like, that's Kurt Russell. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to save everyone. It's yeah. fine. Okay. And like every character sketch, you always have, like, a short version of a little sketch of the character. Yeah. His sketch was, 35, helicopter pilot, likes chess, hates cold, pay is good. Like, just that paints <laughs> such a perfect image. Honestly, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd see that and be like, I'm doing it. Yeah, <laughs> that rules. <laughs> That's me, yep. I want to be a weird chess loader. <laughs> I don't really like anybody, but God damn it, if I'm going to, like, let down the side, yeah. you know? Yeah, I'm going to nice. blow up the world before I let somebody beat me. <laughs> yeah. That's such a, I know it's like... Uh, yeah, the chess thing in the beginning. It's so telegraphed almost like it's so obvious what it's doing when you know what it's doing but yeah. it is it is just such a great shorthand for like oh it's this kind of guy yeah he's got his like chess 95 or whatever like his sombrero yeah chess sombrero <laughs> and then it wins he what does he see he says like oh you're starting to lose it you poor baby like he's talking to the machine and then it wins and he's like fine I'm going to pour, yeah, cheating bitch, pour whiskey in you and blow up the machine now nobody can play chess yep. classic and this is like the first week that they're alone like the he's got a whole winter to go through yeah. with no chess of matter. i love well we'll get there but the reaction to the first bad thing that happens and he just goes first goddamn week a winner <laughs> <laughs> yep ain't it always the way mm -hmm. we got wilfred brimley as blair uh, a rare unmustachioed wilfred brimley like almost unrecognizable i i honestly i'm like is it him or is it the doc and then yeah it takes a while uh, and I'm not going to go through the plot of this movie. We'll just talk about it generally because it is so threadbare when you like sit and examine it. Yeah. So I'm just going to drop in stuff as we go. Yeah, go for but it. But it's just like his attempts to kill everybody is kind of heroic. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> so big spoilers. Bold stand. Yeah, I get it. Yes. Yeah. It's a funny, like, it is so clear. Like, he, he understands every single step of the way what the... Yeah. He understands what the outcome of this is going to be. I can't remember what his job is. He's he's the senior biologist. Biologist. Okay, then yes, totally. Like yeah. imagine being an epidemiologist in like April of 2020. This is <laughs> his job, is to be like, no, it's the the possible worst case scenario is so bad yeah. that we need to do what feel like extreme measures now so that that never comes to pass. It's your favorite kind of decision making, which is nuke it from orbit. Yeah. <laughs> 
Honestly, nougat for Mormon is a perfectly viable life method. I, I endorse it. I love his freak out in the radio room. He's trying to cut them all off yeah. from, from the rest of the world, right? So that the thing can't escape. And he, he, the way that he intones this freak out is so funny to me. Like, it wanted to be us! He's just losing his mind. You think it wanted to be a dog? It wanted to be us! He's... No, you don't understand! That thing wanted to be us! He's got a re- he, I think he says at some point, like, you might think I'm crazy. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I know some of you know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. Uh, but a thing that I find really fascinating, and I'd love to get into this with you at some point over this, mm. this convo, is he's the only person that it's incredibly clear to me when he gets thinged. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. In my mind, it's so obvious that, like, well, I guess you, can't, you don't see it on camera. You, yeah. You know... A point at which it's happened like they lock him up for being crazy and all this yeah and then the next time you see him he's got a noose hanging next that to him that is one of the funniest shots i've ever seen just a where sad they look noose. in and look in on him and they're like how you doing and the shot is just a noose and then him eating beans out of a can <laughs> all better now I'm all better now <laughs> that's that's like oh you're thing oh like, you're okay so... all right yeah i mean he, he just he doesn't get into any of the logic of it he's just like no no i'm all good i won't hurt anybody yeah <laughs> just like there's nothing oh, wrong okay. with me even if there was i'm all better now like, oh, you seem weird yeah yes i think that's fair because that's not what he would he would say to be safe mm. stay apart yeah yeah uh, but the rest of the cast, I feel like they're the two stars mostly. Like that Brimley gets the most non-Kurt Russell time. <laughs> yeah, and he he has to be the one to kind of deliver what exposition there is. Yeah, I think so. So uh, filling out the rest of the cast, we got T.K. Carter as Nalls, the cook on his uh, his roller, roller skates. skates. That's such a good idea. I love that. Yeah. I want to go work in a base and wear roller skates. <laughs> I just want to wear roller skates all the time. Listen to a sweet superstition. Who asked somebody to turn on superstition? Come on. Rude, Bennings. I Come guess on. he's been shot. Well. <laughs> uh, you got Peter Maloney as Bennings, uh, who's the meteorologist. That's okay. his role. You got David Clennon as Palmer, the assistant mechanic. Oh, that's what he does. Okay. Yeah. This is a <laughs> He's real... just done a shit ton of acid before he came here. And yeah. So this is a thing. So just generally speaking, the like there's two ways to go through the thing. There's the one way, which is it's atmospheric. You're not supposed to know what's happening. It's supposed to be disorienting. Hook me up for the ride. And then there's yeah. the like puzzling trying to figure out what happens when to who who's thinged when yeah Yeah. um and like carpenter subscribes to the you figured out it's up to you this is just you're supposed to be scared yeah i Uh, assume carpenter doesn't know or care in people asking him he he won't even say if he knows or not he's just like it's up to you it doesn't matter what i think i'm done with the movie now it's yours yeah exactly yeah i know he's like that (laughs) yeah i'm I'm, I'm done like, doing the work. <laughs> I like it. I'm like, wow, you know exactly. Of course you do. You love this movie. You've I love this so movie and this man. Uh, whereas his producers and the writers are like, oh yeah, you can like draw a straight line. Uh, what okay. Happens. So they did have to figure it out amongst themselves. Yes. But they don't have to say. And then yeah. Carpenter extracts so much of what makes it clear, which sure. is great. No, perfect. The reason I mentioned all this is that at the very beginning, the dog, the shadow that you see, that it's not clear who it is. Right. He goes into a room alone. Yeah. With. It's supposed to be Palmer. It is supposed yeah. to be Palmer. And okay. they shot it, but they're like, oh, his silhouette is so obvious. Yeah, he's we got can't... curly hair and he's got like a no shape that's yeah, very distinctive. Yeah, like a really scrawny neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, okay. We but ha- you don't want it to be that obvious. Exactly. There yeah. has to be some, like everybody acts so well as human. Yeah. That's a weird sentence, doesn't <laughs> hmm. it? But uh, that we need to make it, we need to obfuscate it. And they like 
to Carpenter's mind, they went the right distance, but all the rest of everybody else is like, oh, it, now you can't tell anything about who it is, which I think is it's it's the best way to do it. So who's actually sitting in that chair is the stunt coordinator, Dick Warlock. <laughs> oh, we love Dick Warlock yeah. on this show <laughs> and in our hearts. Okay, so it's n- it's nobody. You're, that's yeah. not a shadow of a person on the cast. Exactly. That's yeah. really funny. Okay. Yeah. Sneaky. <laughs> Uh, you got Keith David as Childs, which is... We love a Keith David appearance. Oh, yeah. He just brings so much to any role he's doing. He's, like... He rivals Kurt Russell in this for, like, presence, you know? And it's funny because he doesn't have a bigger part than anybody else. No, he doesn't. But you feel like he does. In my mind, yeah. They have, they're they the rivalry throughout. And, like, yeah. no, they That's snip at really each other, true. like, twice. Yeah. Yeah, Childs <laughs> fights more with other people than he does with McCready, but, Ooh. yeah. Uh, and what's his job? He's the chief mechanic. So there you go. Oh, okay. So he and Palmer work together. Yeah, Richard Dysart as Dr. Co- Copper, which obviously he's the doctor. Yep. Uh, that I like the doc. That's a good role. Yeah, I know. In a lot of the, weirdly in a lot of the synopsises, they talk about like, McCready and the doc are going to solve the case. It's because they go to the Norwegian camp, I think. He yeah. like wants to help. Yeah. That's his instinct. He gets his arms bitten off by the tummy thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> tum tum thing. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, you got Charles Hallahan as Norris, the genie, the geologist, not genealogist. I thought you were going to say the genie. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, we have an easy way out of this problem. Okay. <laughs> He's the geologist is there. Yes. Okay. With his curly hair. Uh, I mentioned Bennings, the meteorologist, Richard Mazur as Clark, the dog handler, mm. with very sad eyes, I feel like. Yeah. He feels like a real... Strong, silent type. Yes. Like, he doesn't yeah. socialize well with others. And that's why he's always hanging out with animals. Like, yeah. that feels like a, he was, he had an affinity for animals as a youngster. And yeah. Like, yeah. But I, like, he's, I think he's how you get the introduction of Brimley suspecting people. Yeah. Like, how long, Brimley asking him, like, how long did you spend alone with the dog? It's not even the, it's, it is that question, obviously, but... It's after the dog thing. And they're like, Jesus Christ, there's a monster in the camp. We think we've killed it. We saw what it did, which was that it was turning into a dog as we killed it. Mm-hmm. It can it can imitate things, and they're you know they're going and sedating the rest of the dogs to like keep them calm. And Flair is looking at Clark, and he just pauses, and it's not even the the sentence doesn't go up at the end. He says, "How long were you alone with that dog?" Yeah. And that's, that's, I think everyone is just toast for the rest of the movie. You're just in a bad mental place. It, oh, it's such a good, you can see him thinking and that sentence of like, now it's out there. Yeah, and yeah. You can't take it back. Shit, yeah. yeah. What was the dog doing in the rec room? I don't know. It's just wandering around camp all day. Are you saying to me the dog wasn't put in the kennel until last night? Right. How long were you alone with that dog? And then Clark is so suspicious the rest of the movie, and you do suspect him. Yeah. And the nail in the coffin when Blair gets thinged, and then he casts suspicion on Clark because he knows he's not a thing. Right. Is just such a... Uh, because if Clark was a thing, he would have just... If he knows Blair knows, he would have killed him right there. Yeah. If you'd thought it through just for like a second, you know? But yeah, it's all these knee-jerk reflexes. Totally. And you're scared and you're paranoid and... Human nature coming through. Humans were the real monster. 
We got Joel Polis as Fuchs, the assistant biologist. And here's Smart guy. where I think a lot of the cutting up happens is Fuchs mm. just like disappears at a certain point. Oh yeah, he does, doesn't he? But you don't really question it. It's just like, oh, he's gone. He must have gotten God. But yeah. there's But then he doesn't come back. Yeah. So like yeah. he might have Oh no, they do find his what they think is his body. And they're like, oh maybe he torched himself. Yeah. There, that's true. There's yeah. an element of like we don't know whether he got thinged, but he died. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he torched himself, and that's when they find McCready's ripped up clothing that's been planted. Yeah. It's just such a good by pulling out so much information, it just casts such insane <laughs> aspersions on everything. I love it so much. It's done so well. It's it's really like you are there. You're not the audience. Yeah. You have exactly as much information as anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Does a great, yeah, does a great job of viscerally putting you in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is when McCready, who's kind of your stand-in, disappears for a while. It's so... It's weird. You're so on, like, the back foot of, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Ah. This is turning into just a love fest. So, yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep it together. Thomas Waits, not Tom Waits. Thomas Waits as Windows, the radio operator. Windows. Uh, at the beginning, he's attempting to contact McMurdo Station, and that's uh, a real station. It's oh, okay. like the real main uh, Antarctic American station, I think. Oh, okay. Um, this might be a satellite or something? Yeah, I think that's the idea. <laughs> a thing that McMurdo does is every year when... The, like they do the spring turnover or whatever and and the flights leave and then you're like you're stuck there for the winter sure you're staying over they do an annual screening of the thing <laughs> it's like the last mm. flight takes off and they press oh, play oh god <laughs> no wait until wait wait no either do it before the last flight leaves so that some of you can be like you know what never mind you still have the option <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. I, I love how they've, like, taken this into their, like, ah, this is us Because uh. <laughs> one of the things, like, we've been going through the jobs, and, like, who the fuck knows what any of these guys do? It's not know, important yeah. in there. No, but they all just know each other. Carpenter and the producers and the writer were worried about, like, will anybody think that this setup makes any sense? Like, there's a guy with a gun, like a pistol in Antarctica. Yeah. They have so many guns. They have a lot of Why? fucking guns. <laughs> Yeah, wait, why is that? They watch that Futurama episode where the penguins invade, like, <laughs> but they, <laughs> they've done it well enough that, like, you I don't, don't question, question it. it. Yeah. yeah. I, I just assumed, like, it's a, it's a military base, it, right? No, it's not. It's not. Okay. <laughs> Great. U- U.S. just research, capital R. Yeah. I guess <laughs> maybe right. it could be run, like, I guess you could say that, like. Or, like, former military or something. Something, yeah. I don't know. It's just a big question mark that's just hand-waved away. But this is why I love Carpenter movies, because he hand waves away so much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I'm right. You're right, Carpenter. I don't care. It's not important. No, exactly. You're like, I, you can be really pedantic about it if you want, but that doesn't, it doesn't detract from your enjoyment of the movie. Yeah. And yeah. like, I love being pedantic about things. It already came up <laughs> once, naturally, in this episode. If um, anyone was gonna, you were gonna. And finally... Maybe the most important cast member. It's Jed the Wolf Dog. Oh, I thought you were going to say Gary. You missed Gary. Oh, I missed Gary. How do <laughs> I miss Gary? His name's Gary because he doesn't do much. Yeah, he's just got a gun. <laughs> he's Donald Moffat as Gary, the station commander. Commander, yeah. This guy seems like either current or former military, but like he's mm. too old now to kind of keep a handle on things. He doesn't command respect naturally. He you know doesn't. What I mean? And I know for me, it's because he looks so much like Leslie Nielsen, but I'm like, uh. <laughs> The funny man's here to come uh, in the station. Tell a joke, funny man. 
I think it's because he wears a gun all the time, and that must be really weird, because a bunch of these guys are just, like, scientists or mechanics, yeah. right? Like, they're like, come on, fuck off, guy, with that gun. Yeah. I they're... think they probably disrespect that. Yeah, they're all exclusively scientists or engineers, otherwise. Yeah. 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 There's this one guy who's just, like, in charge with his little gun. For no reason. And I like than... that everybody makes fun of him yeah. for having the gun, too. Just like, oh. They call him El Capitan. <laughs> call him his, call his little pop gun. He yeah. gets to blow away a Norwegian at the beginning. And boy, does he. Good yeah. aim on that guy. Yeah. Right in the eyeball. That speaks to a, I practice all the time because I've got nothing else to do. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't blame him. Maybe that's why they all have so many guns. They have to go through so much ammo just to like keep themselves entertained. Target practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway. finally, and most importantly, Jed the Wolf Dog is here. Hell yeah, Jed. Hell Yes. Let me give you some uh, stats on Jed the Wolf Dog. Give me the lowdown. This is his first movie he's ever done. Very nice. It's the first movie he was trained for, mm. which is insane. That's really insane. Uh, yeah. He went on to be like White Fang and stuff later on. Mm. At the time of this movie, he's owned by Henry Winkler's cousin. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just Love so when funny. Henry Winkler appears. So this dog, the best dog acting ever on screen it's wild it's wild it, it's, it's genuinely very creepy ultimately very upsetting and get ready to be more upset Uh-oh. according to the crew he did basically everything on his own no <laughs> no for all the like, like walkthrough scenes he had to do like yeah. the hallway he has a few other like walking into the kennel the way he walks into the kennel he wasn't trained to do any Are of that serious he just they they like trained him on the route and enough to be like don't run basically yeah and he just did the rest on his own. That's very upsetting because yeah. there's something about it that it looks like he understands what's happening around yeah. him. He also never looks actor. in the camera. No. Or even his eyes don't flicker around the way that like animals do. He it, he looks at something and he knows nothing else is important. So he's looking yeah. at the thing that's important. He has a, 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 <sighs> behind his eyes. There's a concentration. Yes. that Feels very non-animal. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that God hallway scene, damn. the very famous hallway scene, one shot, that was supposed to be the rehearsal. Like one take? One take. Fucking that was going to be the rehearsal. And they're like, we're done for the day. Well, I hated that. So we're <laughs> going home. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about, I don't know, the the way, the way it's lined up, the shot, you can tell that either... What I think is going to happen is he's something's going to poke its head around the around the corner of the hallway, mm. but instead you suddenly realize the door at the end of the hallway is open just a crack, and, he and there's this nose hand. sliding down, like ah, it's so upsetting. It's so slow and yeah. deliberate, and I and he comes out and just tilts his head and looks right down the hallway, and just like he doesn't move like a normal dog. Yeah, he's so still. Yeah, it's very you spooky. Can, it's it looks like. He's mimicking the way a, he thinks a dog walks. Like, I don't know. Like, was he brought up in a horrible place or something that, like... Not to my understanding, what, no. What is this dog's fucking deal? <laughs> he's, so he's a wolf dog. So he's not mm. a straight-up dog. Right. So okay. he does have a little bit of different, like, physiognomy than a, a sure. husky or whatever. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that, that's just... That's just what he did. The it's only so extra care they needed... He had a hard time, like, sitting still. So all the scenes mm. where he's, like... Standing and looking out the window or yeah. laying in the kennel for a while that or, or under the table where he's just like hanging right. out looking at things that he needed some training on. Oh, okay. So like, it's not a hundred percent supernatural. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I just need to make you feel a little bit better. Okay. Well, I guess. I guess probably he's dead now anyway, so it's fine. He can't hurt us. Yeah, yeah, he died in the 90s. No. Oh, um, rip. 
But he like he had a nice long life. He like retired from acting. He Aww. only did like six, five movies, something like that. And they're like, okay, you're all done. Go nice. live on a farm. And he literally just lived out his days as a Malamute puppy. Yeah. Very cute. Good um, for him. Originally, all the dog walking scenes were supposed to be much longer. You know, there's all mm. the shots early on, like after the Norwegians have been dealt with through the base, just showing empty rooms. Yes. That was originally going to be empty room, dog walks in and through. Okay. But they were like, oh, it, it kind of doesn't, it's not as impactful. You just get that one hallway scene. And you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Oh, Jesus Christ. He's, he's stalking. Yeah. He is on the lookout. Yeah. And again, okay. they were going to have that original scene as it's written is he, the dog walks in, the shadow turns around and goes, oh, hey boy. And the door slams. Oh. And like far too obvious. <laughs> that's a little much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. But this comes back to Carpenter being like, I don't want to make a Halloween movie. I want to make a The Thing movie. <laughs> yes. The, one of the things that I love about the way things are sort of stitched together and clearly like some scenes pulled out is the fade outs. Like it fades to black, you know, what is supposed to be Palmer turns around, the dog walks into the room and then there's a fade out and a fade back in. And I think that like that enhances so much this idea of something is weird, but you, you can't see it. You're not present for it. It's just a feeling it's it's upsetting like you're you are missing some information and i think that just drives home that like paranoia feeling yeah all the fade outs nothing resolves right before it fades out yeah and the other thing that i love that it does is it makes it feel like time is elapsing but you can't tell how much yes totally which would be the case on an antarctic facility yeah in winter. if you've ever been in like a snowstorm you just can't fucking tell what time it is it, yeah yeah the final word for jed apparently the dog was spooky enough that no one wanted to be around him. Like when, when you know, it. cut and all that, the people would be like, okay, good doggy, and just okay. like leave. Like normally there's a dog on set. I want to play with the dog. I, I want to like watch what the dog's doing. Yeah. Nobody wanted near this fucking thing. <laughs> Except John Carpenter, who's like, it's the best actor I've ever yeah, entered I know, in my yeah. life. You are all so bad compared to this dog. Get your shit together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. And of course, there's so much written about this. So if you're interested, of course, go and read about Rob Botton's wonderful creature Mm, work. Yes. Uh, It's just next level stuff. Really like... That's the word for it. Yeah. They got the budget expanded so many times because they'd be like, check out how fucked up this looks. And the (laughs) producer would be like, that looks pretty fucked up. (laughs) More just shoveling cash. Was this the movie where Rob Botton had like a mental breakdown because he was working so much on this thing? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. (laughs) Because he was what, like 25 at the time or some shit. Like unacceptably young. I, uh, not, not for labor reasons, just for like, I can't do that at 25. (laughs) So fuck you, Rob Botton. You genius. Uh, (laughs) And we've talked a lot about the ambiguity. I just wanted to highlight a few other things. Mm. I love um, uh, Fuchs's reading Brimley's... I'm mixing character Journals, yeah. Uh, Fuchs is reading Blair's journals and says the chameleon strikes in the dark as like, clearly Blair's losing at this point. But that is just... We never see a thing really happen. The closest you get is with Benning. Bennings. Um, Bennings, plural. Uh, (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But that is like... To me, the thesis of the movie is like, you don't get to see this ever happen. Yeah. I, I love that as a, it could be such a frustrating viewing experience, but instead it's just like. It shows you just enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it puts you in the place of, of these guys, which I've talked about. Um, I think it's good. Like it starts with the dogs, right? And you're not sure what's happening at that point. Yeah. And, and you're not sure what you're even looking at. Yeah. It's not clear what is happening. And then when you see it happen to Bennings, it's just, uh, it's, it must be. 
it's such an upsetting way to die. Like, the body horror in this, if you think about it for more than 30 seconds, it's, like, alien level of, like, I want to throw up. <laughs> it's basically turning your blood against you. Yeah, kind of... and just, like, the invasive, like, it has to tentacle every orifice mm. in on your face and in your body and, like... And just turn you inside out, like yeah. liquefy you and absorb you. It's yeah, it's cocooning you. It's it's yeah. caterpillaring you the same way <laughs> caterpillars turn to goo and then become oh, a butterfly. Yeah, it, that is totally what it is. Yeah. Right. Except it, you can interrupt the cocoon in time, and the butterfly will be like, Wah! and have two faces. Around. I'm again, very aware that Brimley's. I know. I'm trying not to. But this is a thing that, like, I don't think we ever really get to. We never really talk about the biology of the thing, and it's not important. But I just like. They hit just enough. Thinking about it, like, yeah. what's your read on it? Because my feeling of it, that's the most articulate I've gotten with it. Mm. It's like, oh, it invades your body, and, like, the cocoon is your skin, I guess. Like, your outer part remains the same, yeah. and it just fucks with your insides. I think, like, the thing itself is the cocoon, right? Because it's, it, I don't know. There's There's a couple of different ways that people die in this. I don't know... When the Palmer thing gets Windows, Windows just, I think he, it just breaks his neck or something, or he just yeah. bleeds out, and, and, but there's clearly, like, I think it's a, like stuff it's, in the blood, so yeah, it starts blood turning blood. Windows, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe. It could be, like, a, and it, it just doesn't really get human physiognomy yet, so it has to, it has to, like, it's so violent. There's, there's better, easier ways. You could just, like, inject someone, but it doesn't know that, so it just, like, blunt force into your bloodstream yeah yeah i it's, don't know but i i like that it's never explained like there's not the effort to explain the unknowableness of it yeah how could you yeah you can't do it uh and to that end there were three different endings shot Ooh. do you know about these i know that oh, i think the wasn't it that the studio wanted it to be clearer or less grim yeah so what they made him shoot the a happy end? ending right okay which is Everybody, like, it's still, everybody dies. Yeah. Childs wanders off as we see him run away. He never comes back. Oh, okay. McCready blows everything up. Yeah. Wanders through the snow and then gets picked up by another, I think it's another Norwegian oh, base okay. that's investigating their first Norwegian base. Sure. Uh, and he, the last shot is him doing the blood test and being like, phew. Oh, okay, Roll credits. Sure, yeah, And yeah. Carpenter's like, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so tidy and stupid. Uh, the bleaker ending that they shot was, again, Childs never reappears. Okay. Uh, McCready just, like, comes out of the exploding base laughing to himself, lies down in the snow, and the credits roll. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. That's rough. <laughs> so McCready dies regardless and Childs gets away. Yeah. Probably a thing. And then uh, this version of the happy medium is the current ending, which is bleak. Question mark? <laughs> Question mark. I know. I love it. It's and this so is good. the thing people ask uh, Car uh, Carpenter all the time about, like, who's a thing at the end? And Carpenter's like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you can't imagine him caring about that at all. <laughs> uh, Why do you need to know? Yeah. What the fuck's wrong with you? The writer, the writer of the screenplay says neither of them is. Mm, okay. Yeah. So. That's fair. I think, to be honest, I think that's a... I think you could go, like, even further with that version of the ending where neither of them is a thing, but they end up killing each other out of paranoia. Yeah. That feels, like, true to the movie. The thing that I really like about them them ending up together is that uh, McCready has been... And I mean, this just feels like 
very heavy-handed as I'm describing it, but sure. uh, McCready feels like he's the hero, the reluctant hero that comes yeah. out and everything. So he the most competent, at least. Yes. Yeah. Whereas Childs is the one that's criticizing 100% of the way along, and then given the first opportunity, he runs away. Right. So yeah. the coward and the hero survive is such a like <laughs> an interesting combination to go out on. Well, I mean, it's it's such a like not to. I, I will not talk about COVID that much in this, but, you know, it's hard not to watch that movie, yeah. this movie that way. But it is an interesting ending to be, like, the coward accomplishes the same amount, like, keeps himself safe. Yeah. That is a way you can go with a, you know, a something spreading through your camp and the person who tried to keep everybody safe by being, you know, militant about it. <laughs> Also survives. He did way more work, but only got the same amount of, of like, result as the coward. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, you understand why the coward is that way. And, like, I'm calling him the coward as if that's, like, his title in the movie. But you know what like I mean? Keith David on a... With a little jester's cap. Uh, yeah, or, like, on a tarot card as Yeah, the exactly. Coward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, the self-serving, the, the cautious and, like... He he's perfectly ready to let McCready freeze to death. Yeah. So he's like, no, he's coming. He's coming back by himself. Nobody else is with him. Mm. Nobody saw him. Let him freeze to death. And I can't remember who says it. Like, what if we're wrong? And he just goes, well, then we're wrong. Like he yeah. he doesn't see that as enough of a. And like I get it. Yeah. No. Like we're describing him as the coward, but like he's kind of right. That's also kind of the militant way of going about it, right? Yeah. yeah. I. Honestly, my take is that Childs is a thing, mm. and I can tell you why. Oh, okay. Because when, I think it's, they have to burn Bennings. They, that's the first thinging they see. Yes. And they're all outside, and they have this, they've just got like a council, you know, mm. they're all standing in a semicircle around the burning body. Yeah, it feels really and ritualistic. I know, yeah. very spooky. Uh, McCready is doing his like, I know I'm human, and I know some of you are human, because otherwise you'd all just kill me right now. Yeah. Uh, Childs, Clark, and Doc are not wearing their goggles, and it is fucking freezing outside. It's clearly the middle of the night. You can see their breath. I don't think it bothers them as much, because I think at that point they're things. Well, no, but at this point, we know that, well, ultimately, we will know that Childs, Doc, and Clark are human. Or not Childs. Clark and the Doc are human. We know that much, once we do the blood tests, do we know. Oh yeah, true. Oh, I forgot Clark died. Okay, never mind. My theory is, is toast. sorry to uh, <laughs> roast you on the pod here. I still think he's a thing because he ran out into the dark, and you just you're just not supposed. To. I I don't know. <laughs> Sticking to it. So, I had told you after we watched this that like now that I know Palmer is the shadow yeah. that we see, I can like you can trace it from a there. straight line pretty much because Palmer is absent from so much of this movie. Which is super mm. interesting. Like, there's a yeah, just enough he at? exactly. There's just enough people that there will be a few people on screen, and then somebody else will come in and be like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." Like, oh, yeah, where were you? It's yeah. just impossible to keep track of that many guys. Yeah, <laughs> there were too many men. <laughs> too many. <laughs> Should have counted the men. Too many men on the ice. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh. Uh, oh! <laughs> I was being Canadian, but that works too. <laughs> um, so we know the shadow gets Palmer, and honestly, the 
uh, Bennings almost gets thinged. I was suspicious about Bennings because the dog licks him a bunch yeah, when I it know. first arrives, and he's very. We don't need to watch these Norwegian tapes. There's this is crap. This is boring. There's nothing we can learn from this. And he's got the mm. the. He's the one that got shot, so he's got his yeah. blood out in the open. He's yeah. got an, an entry point, I guess you could say. Um, but I think that yeah. nobody else is thinged. It's just Palmer until when he starts casting doubt on McCready. He starts leaving out mm. the the stuff and yeah. Uh, McCready and Nalls go up to McCready's hut. Yeah. And then Nalls comes back. Palmer's the one that says, hey, hey, get in. Or not not Palmer, Norris, the, the curly yeah, guy. Yeah. She says, oh, somebody's coming back. Hey, hey, get in here. And then it cuts from that exact vantage point to Palmer's vantage, uh, standing in that same spot. Oh. To me, Palmer's the first one on the scene there, and he gets Norris at that point, and then everybody else shows up. Like, it feels a little dangerous, but that's the only thing I can't account for is when Norris yeah. gets got. No, 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 that's fair. Yeah. It is very like, yeah, we don't we don't see a lot of him. I, this is why you need a bubble. You need an honest-to-God bubble. <laughs> None of this trading bubbles. <laughs> There's so much poor viral management yeah. situations going on in this. Like, you're yeah. just constantly alone with people, alone with different people at any time. Like, <laughs> uh, eventually we all go to, we all sit in the same room together and don't move. And but... one cute aspect I like about the uh, set design here. So we've got the one base that they're in the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Norwegian base that we see when they have their yes. spooky alley is just the blown up American base. Like all the Norwegian stuff is shot last. Oh. So there's only one base the whole time. Oh, it's, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I did I did think like, wow, like a lot of this layout is very familiar, but I thought it was for, you know, dramatic irony at the end when they're putting an axe through the door and whatnot. It's and... the brilliant thing. It works both as dramatic irony and it saves you a lot of budget. <laughs> <laughs> Which, literally, uh, they saved $300,000 doing that, and they moved that to the creature budget. Oh, yes, that's what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what, I want to share a huge quote with you. So, Stuart Cohen's one of the producers. Okay. He, when this movie starts getting reappraised through the 90s... Because uh, it talk, didn't do well. It on, did bad. It's so weird to me. And we'll talk about more of that in a second. Okay. Uh, Stuart Cohen was one of the original producers. He was like, hey, people are asking a lot about this, so I'd love to just, like, he ran, like, the equivalent of, like, a live journal or, like, a a blogspot blog called uh, The Original Fan. Uh, Because he's the original fan of the thing. He was, like, the guy that was like, yeah, we can do it, guys. Yeah, this is going to be great. And, like, he was on set all the time, just, like, helping out with odd things. He's, I think he's one of the Norwegians in the videotapes. Oh, fun, okay. So he's, like, on set all the time. He talks a lot about the the aims of what Carpenter was going for throughout the movie. Sure. And like we've been talking about, ambiguity, playing that up. This is kind of what his take on it. So, quote, Running away as fast as we could from the usual stereotype of dedicated scientists engaged in something bigger than themselves, it was essential that our group be bored with their garden variety activities and, more importantly, bored and on edge with each other, a process accelerated by the creature's arrival and the subsequent manipulations. This is as opposed to the usual dynamic of putting aside one's differences and banding together to fight and destroy a common enemy. They're more caretakers, really, than scientists. Keeping the men in the same wardrobe throughout the film serves as a physical reminder of the boredom and also helps to reinforce the glacial passage of time. Which is like, I didn't realize until reading that, like, yeah, they all just have one set of clothes. Yeah. Nobody changes ever. Yeah, Kurt Russell just wears that same fucking blue hoodie all the time. And, yeah. like, fair. I <laughs> I also have the equivalent where I'm like, this is my forever hoodie. Yep. But... <laughs> but mm. it confuses the passage of time more where we talk about the fade outs and, like, okay, well, is this later this day? Or is this... The only yeah. time we get is 
at one point Russell says, oh, the storm is coming in six hours or something like that. Yeah, or and then it's been going on for the last 48 hours. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, you've just been, like, sitting in the dark panicking for two days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. I love the glacial passage of time idea that, like, imagine being in that situation and then being like, okay, you have five months to wait. And I love... No. <laughs> before the crisis even starts, like, clearly, like, Childs and Palmer are... Buddies, yeah, yeah. There's and they some... don't like anybody else, yeah. and nobody likes them because <laughs> they're always out in the garage or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. There's clearly some enmities. Yeah, yeah. I lo- it's. Have you ever been isolated with a group in that way? Like, not including like you know uh, lockdowns and stuff. No, like the closest. I'm not a camper, really. Sure. And I've been to cabins where it. It obviously it's a little different, but it does feel like what the fuck do I do? Yeah. Like <laughs> it's very like yeah, ca- cottaging. If you don't buy food on your way out, you have no food. <laughs> like you're you're kind of at the mercy of the elements if you don't prepare enough. Yeah, but that's that's the closest I felt. How about how about you? Do you have any? I really the only thing I can think is like you know going to camp as a as a kid like in middle school and it was of course yes in the middle it was winter camp so you like go <laughs> science camp or whatever you go into the mountains you hike your way through waist deep uh, snowbanks to your cabin you have a line to probably hike with honestly yeah, yeah. you have a tow line sometimes there are wolves <laughs> you can hear them at night and you're They're not aliens. supposed to go outside yeah <laughs> so in a way it's very much like that but you know. Yeah, no, not where you're like, I, I'm ready to cut these people loose at a moment's notice. Never it, like that. It makes it feel incredibly dramatic, but like, I felt that kind of thing doing like family visits over a long family <laughs> time. And of course, I love my family. Of but course. we know that feeling of like, well, I'm here. I'm trapped. <sighs> in do a I way. wear the same clothes as yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> do I eat the same food as yesterday? How is it only 3 p.m.? Like, that that kind of feeling. <laughs> the sun's already down, but what is happening? <laughs> or, Jesus Christ, the sun won't go down. Yeah. We've all, we've all had these experiences, I think. Yeah. And that's why I think, even if you've never had, obviously, this feels like such a relatable movie, mm-hmm. in, despite the fact that it is impossibly unrelatable. Oh, like, yeah, you you'll never really. be in this situation, <laughs> but I get it. I know yeah. what would happen if I were in it. It's tapping into something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've... Played it up enough. It's time for another edition of Hooray for Hollywood. Oh, nice. The segment in which we take some bitchy Hollywood infighting and show how our movie came about because of it. (laughs) This movie is really the Hooray for Hollywood bitchy infighting segment writ large. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Nice. Uh, And I think you know some of this already, but we'll we'll talk about it nonetheless. Because this movie has a funny little route to getting made. And the fact that anything ever gets made is a miracle. Oh, for sure. And virtually everything has a story like this. I just like this one. <laughs> this is honestly why I'm inclined to give Trash a pass is because, like, you, you, did, you did a lot of work just yeah. to produce Trash. <laughs> so producers at Universal wanted to readapt this story. It right. started with, it was nobody pitching anything. This was producers being like, hey, you remember that Howard Hawks movie from the 50s? Right. It's which, called The Thing from Another World? Yes. Is that the one? the one? Okay, yeah. Uh, which is the first adaptation of this story. We should do a new version. Like, let's do a version that, like, the thing from another world doesn't really... It kind of takes the core idea and then doesn't really relate to the the story. Oh, okay. Uh, They wanted to, like, readapt it as, like, let's make it really one-to-one. Let's make the novella on screen kind of deal. 
this is in 1976, uh, so for those playing at home, six years before the thing. Oh, okay. And they're kind of sh farming around, shopping around for like, who would be a good director for this? They're trying to keep it in their director stable. Uh, and somebody suggests, you know who did just a really good Siege movie recently? And we could probably get him for pretty cheap. Is this independent director who just did this movie, Assault on Precinct 13? His name's John Carpenter. Everybody's like, who the fuck is that? Who is Jim? <laughs> but they, they offer it to him. They're okay. like, hey, do you want to come and do this? And at this stage already, John Carpenter's like a young shit. And he's like, I'm not going to work for a studio. <laughs> and they're like, uh, we don't really want to work with you. So it kind of like, they offer it to him. They talk about it a little bit and they just kind of... He's just off-putting off and the meeting goes nowhere. Yeah, and he goes on to, like, he does The Fog, he does Escape from New York. He's got projects going already, so yeah. it's it's an easy walk away for him. And the studio's like, that's fine. Yeah, you, no harm done. You always drop it around. Uh, so then they bring it to uh, another hot-to-trot independent who is actually contracted at the studio already, Toby Hooper. Oh, okay. Who just did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure, sure, sure. Just did. Recently. Well, like two the, years before yeah, this, right? Actually, yeah. yeah, pretty much the same timeline. Yeah. Uh, Toby Hooper develops a lot of stuff. Uh, it kind of gets left on the floor, though, because he, the studio doesn't like his take on it. They go to John Landis, weirdly. Oh. And they just kind of, like, shop it around some people they've got just in around. But nothing comes of it, so they just drop it. As happens, development hell is a thing. But then, 1979, Alien comes out. Written by Dan O'Bannon, who is right. one of John Carpenter's original... Writer. Collaborators. Collaborators. Yeah. Who in 1975, 74, they make a movie called Dark Star, which is a goofy little movie and is for like Carpenter completists. It's fun. Yeah. It's interesting to see. It yeah. genuinely is. Yeah. It genuinely. It's a very independent movie. Uh, it's yeah. got no budget. You can tell. <laughs> the absolute pinnacle of independent movie. And a lot of people have pointed this out that like if you see Alien and then you see Dark Star, you're like, oh, Dark Star is the comedy version of Alien. Yeah. <laughs> very obvious. Yeah. And Dark Star is written by Dan O'Bannon, John Carpenter together. And Don Carpenter... Don Carpenter... <laughs> the Don. <laughs> Dan O'Connor uh, was... Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon. <laughs> oh my god! We've been watching too many Terminator movies. You gotta call yeah. this out. I'm losing oh my cred. Oh god, okay. Um, Dan O'Bannon. He has always been open about, like, I wrote Dark Star, but I wanted to do it a serious way. Like, I wanted to have... A haunted house in space like that was his idea okay so he's pitching alien from when dark star comes out to when alien comes out he wants to get this thing made yeah and it finally happens and it's enormous obviously and hollywood goes alien crazy mm -hmm. so universal's like didn't we have that uh what's that thing we had what's that thing it's the thing yeah <laughs> and this is now like a new set of producers they're like we want to do like a horror movie we want to draw people in alien was like kind of a an independent uh, coming together with a studio to make this huge movie. We want to do the same thing. So who's a, a really hot horror independent director? Independent, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, some guy just did that crazy Halloween movie that's doing, like, huge money. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, John Carpenter. They're like, why does that name seem familiar? Oh. It doesn't matter. It's probably nothing. <laughs> so this movie comes about because of Dark Star, which is so curious to me Weird. as a, like, there's no small gigs kind of Yeah, thing. you just never know. But then... 1982, the movie's about to come out. Trailers are out there. They're trying to, like, drum up, you know, advertising dollars or whatever. It's, like, I think six weeks before the movie's gonna come out. Uh, one of the producers, David Foster, is at the movies, at a premiere, uh, the which has the Thing trailer right before. He's like, oh, great, I get to see how this plays to an audience. Yeah. And it goes through and it finishes, and he's like, oh, they fucking hated that. Oh, no, why? <laughs> uh, it just gets no reaction... 
it's it's a really like almost art housey. Like J- John Carpenter was like really mm. in the the trenches with it. It's like a black and white like. Uh, what's the tagline? Man is the warmest place to hide. Yeah. Is the, the tagline. Which, I think is a cool tagline. It's an amazing tagline. Written by the same guy who wrote the alien tagline. No nice. Oh, that guy was spitting. Yeah, he was. Goddamn. <laughs> uh, but it gets what he describes as an icy silence. It's not like a silence of people are paying attention. It's like yeah. this, we don't want anything to do with I'm this I'm wasting thing. my time yeah. watching this. Oh, no. Because it's... It's hard to put together a trailer of visual images without the context of the movie, right? And like, they're trying to do the Jaws thing of, oh, you can't show them everything. Right. You, Which you sh- I think you shouldn't, but... Yeah, I agree. Not as so far to the other way. Yeah, that, they yeah. haven't figured it out yet. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> but this is a this is a, a, a premiere showing, so it's full of critics it's full of the people that need to be excited about this. Yeah, so, awkward. Uh, okay. And then the movie starts, and he kind of shrugs it off. The movie starts, it's E.T., it ends, <laughs> and he's like, oh, we're fucking dead. Oh, no! Yeah. <laughs> people want this alien. Yeah, like, not... people lose it. Like, the people streaming tears. Aww. People are, like, plotting. Yeah. There's this huge, like, change in movies in the E.T. <laughs> He's, and he yeah. like calls a meeting to be like, we're over. Like we gotta pull this movie level of. Oh my god! It's done. Calm they, down. They cancel the premieres. They change the. Oh shit! Okay. The the advertising strategy. So they change it from the warmest place to hide to the new tagline is the ultimate in space terror. Right, I've seen that on a bunch of the... Because oh, yeah. they're trying to tie it to the ultimate in alien terror. Right, they're trying one. to ride alien coattails. Exactly. Ah, and it backfires on them because now them. nobody knows what this movie is about. Yeah. Um, Aliens, goddammit. Like, okay. So they do have, like, one premiere that they describe as, we didn't open. Like... <laughs> <laughs> a pity premiere. And to make things worse, the studio... Backs the new Toby Hooper movie, Poltergeist, that ah. comes out two weeks before this movie. Yeah. And then the same, I think the same weekend, Wrath of Khan and Blade Runner come out. Oh, Jesus so Christ. Like, the, what a time to be alive, though, oh hey? Oh, God. 1982, man. Uh, so this movie it just gets destroyed. Avalanche. Avalanche. Yeah. And the, the thought is, well, it can make good work, word of mouth, and that'll bring yeah. it back. Yeah. And no. <laughs> uh, and that didn't happen either. <laughs> this is where pornographer of violence comes from. This is where this is disgusting for no reason. Oh. This is... Like, B- shame on you for making this yeah, movie? Yeah, this is somebody trying to make a B-movie seem like art. Right. Which, it's hard to talk about this movie and not make it seem like a B-movie, yeah. but it isn't a B-movie. It kind of has that DNA a little bit, but it's... Yes, it's got the same elements, but, like, so... Uh, yeah, I hate... Ah, critics! <laughs> <laughs> so he gets destroyed. When I say he, people are like attacking John Carpenter. Physically? No, no, no. Oh my God, okay. <laughs> to be like, this guy should never work again. This guy doesn't know what a horror movie is. This guy should never be directing sci-fi or horror. He clearly doesn't know what this is about. Like, this is right after Star Wars and Alien and all this. So yeah, like, I get, but like, and also Halloween. Like, yeah. Got, what? Do you not know this is the same guy? So this is where okay. this is where John Carpenter becomes like I don't fucking care. Like this is where he becomes we broke that him. guy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Because uh, the the Stuart Cohen with the blog, he describes going to see Carpenter. He's like he looked like he was beaten up. Like I, he, he describes it as I know people who have had cancer, and he looked like a cancer patient. Oh my god! Like he's just getting lambasted everywhere. He was supposed to have the studio had such a belief in the thing that they had already greenlit more projects for him. Oh, jeez. And they all get canceled. Oh. He was supposed to do Firestarter, 
which is a Stephen oh, yeah. King story that does go on to get made with another director. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was supposed to be John Carpenter's movie. Yeah. And uh, Carpenter's like, great, I'll never work with the studio again. This is awful. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. Understandable. But then the thing that goes sucks. on to be this, like, it gets... It's not even one of those things that, like, a lot of the reappraisals we talk about on the pod are, like, because it's on TV, because... Yes, people people just grow up with it, or it's just around, and people are like, I genuinely had a really good... Like, like divorced from the discourse of it, where yeah. you're like, oh, everyone says it's bad, so it must be bad. Without, kind of, the internet and stuff to drive that, you would just be like, well, I watched it, and I liked it. Like, if it is on TV a lot, you yeah. get that chance. This was too explicit to be on TV. Nobody can really account right. for how this becomes... <laughs> Such a classic, but other than that, it's good. The the prevailing theory is just that like horror people watch it, sure. horror people love it, horror people make movies, and then they're like, I watched the thing, and it becomes this like back cycled kind of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's got the DNA of a lot of things we love now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless so, the horror audience. I there's just yeah. no. I feel like there's. They're the I don't one mean good this. Fandom. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't mean this in a mean way. The bar is lower. The, the the interest is wider. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's not that the bar is lower. The interest is wider. They're more willing to give stuff a shot. Yeah, they're more willing to look at experimental things for experimental sake. Yeah. I think. But yeah. 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 Hooray! <laughs> but like, this is, yeah, that that couple of weeks where like, Wrath uh. of Blade Runner, E.T. and Poltergeist, like two enormous Spielberg things. Oh, yeah. Like, that's tough. <laughs> is Poltergeist Spielberg? Uh, produced by oh, Spielberg. Oh, he, pro- right, right, It's right. one of the it's first, Toby like, Hooper, isn't it? yeah, it's Toby yeah. Hooper, but it's one of the first produced by Amblin movies. Oh, uh, sure. Um, well, not that weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a, like, we're trying to show our range, kind of. Sure. But it's the one that everyone's like, oh, Steven Spielberg ghost directed it, and like, no, he didn't. Toby Hooper directed it. But. <laughs> also, don't say ghost. Yeah, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's insensitive. Fuck, man. Hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> I. It's so... It must be infuriating to be a studio executive because even the good choices you make, then they don't play the way you think and you're like, yeah. do I even know anything? What's happening? <laughs> and then you change your mind and it turns out you're right the first time. Like, I'm going to jump off the building. <laughs> yeah, god damn it. You're, yeah, Thankless. You're, your self-esteem is tied to public consciousness. That's oh, not, kill me. Um... No uh, wonder they're all nightmares. But yeah. the amount of time we slag on producers on this show to be like, they did one good one and they didn't yeah. get thanked for it. So That's fair. We'll this give is it to the them. exception yeah. that proves the rule. Yes, exactly. And they still flinched at the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't love that, but <laughs> what a story. What a story. Yeah. It yeah. feels like such a, such a, I don't know. Uh, such a bellwether of like it's not an easy it is an obvious message in a sense but there's it's it doesn't care whether you a get it or b like it that that's the feeling you get from the movie and i can see that being a tough sell i think too the the idea of ambiguity at this time in cinema was not that's more what i mean yeah yeah Yeah. the idea that you wouldn't just go for like a wrapped up neat story is maybe not a not a blockbuster scenario like an et and a poltergeist are what audiences were clamoring for and this is the exact opposite of those movies yep (laughs) like literally you can't get literally every respect yeah (laughs) if there's except craftsmanship yeah yeah very different of like approaches top to bottom though like Carpenter's working to make this less and less explicit at a time when people are like, make John Williams tell me how to feel. Yes, exactly. I love both kinds. Oh, for sure. No. And they're like, 
he is a master of that craft, as well as Morricone is a master of his craft <laughs> yeah. and carpet. The the thing that I love about the score for this in particular, as this example, it like hmm. it tells you how to feel in the sense that you don't understand what's going on. And <laughs> it's so hard for a soundtrack to do that while still like this soundtrack gives you anxiety. Yeah. And it's really hard to do that without just sounding like a mess, you know? <laughs> like a, a you know, 12-tone kind of approach. I think to use your wording of how you describe the dog before, it's because it's so slow and deliberate, I think. Like yeah. the the two musical chunks that I tend to think of are the opening. The opening, which does come back a few times and it's just a lot of unresolving uh, suspensions, basically. It's just there to... But it's got that, like, heartbeat... Yes. ...thing underneath, which I love a lot. I love it a lot, too. Go just... to the blood. Yeah, but it's got this, like, just because it seems like it's not resolving, it's still organized yes. feeling. Yes, yes. Unresolved, but organized. Yeah. Oh, shit, that's good. Yeah. Um, and the other one I tend to think of, which, like, it, it makes me cringe a little bit. The time I think of it is when they're discover discovering in the Norwegian base the ice Oh, block. The, the screechy violins? Yeah, the super high screechy violins. Yeah. That seems almost like... It's almost playing within a key properly until it starts getting so high that you're like, I have no idea I what's happening. I can barely hear these notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the big two. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's a hostile kind of sound and it's, it's not, yeah, this movie does not want you to like it. Yeah. <laughs> Bad sell. It's hard sell. Made by the guy who doesn't give a shit what you think about anything. <laughs> Yeah, they can make more Halloweens. I don't give a fuck. Pay me. I need money. Give <laughs> <Yeah>. me money. <laughs> Ideal director mindset. He just wants to play Sonic the Hedgehog. And noodle around on his synthesizer. Yeah. May God give us all that lifestyle. Uh, he deserves it. He's he given does. us so much. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, John. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Fucking hell. Yeah. Good right. thing. Well, I think it's now time for a little review review. Review review. I've yes. got six things here today because i've got a mixture of what came from the time and uh oh no i've only got five things four things it's the the list is getting shorter by the second <laughs> great i've got three i think oh, okay well yeah. i'll go first so then we can go back and forth okay uh this is from the new york times review of the time uh quote it qualifies only as instant junk oh boo <laughs> <laughs> the paper of record <laughs> The New York Times has never once been right. Oh, that's that, it. Oh, I, great. I've just got snippets. <laughs> all right. I have mine are all from Letterboxd. Oh. Well, one is from uh, New York Times, actually. But uh, here's from user <laughs> Feet Dante from the DMC series on Letterboxd. My dog looks at me. Me. How do I know you're not the thing? Brackets 1982. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of suspicious people with dogs mm, after this movie. Yes. I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> from Roger Ebert quote a great barf bag of a movie <laughs> I hope he meant that complimentary I don't know it's hard to tell yeah. <laughs> he does have a he feels like he would like it he appreciates it but yeah, doesn't like sure, it sure 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 he, I, there's a thing that he goes on later to say like this will appeal to those that want to see uh, it's something like thousands of tendrils pushed through a dog. Ugh. And he's well, he's not wrong. And he went on to like reappraise this as like millions of people did want to see that, so I was right. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> Despite the I'm fact that I'm technically correct, yeah, that um, is true. That's that's what I got from Ebert. Nice. I have one from Letterboxd user J. <laughs> Would I trust Kurt Russell with my life? Absolutely. Would I trust Kurt Russell with my dog? Not a chance in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Which 
I like a lot. That's that captures the character a lot, actually, where you're like, big picture, totally the guy. Yeah. Small details, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From a Starlog magazine of the time, mm-hmm. this is something Stuart Cohen left the premiere showing and okay. walked down the street and grabbed this magazine, opened it and read the review, and this is the signing off. Quote, it's my contention that John Carpenter was never meant to direct a science fiction horror movie. Here's some things he'd be better suited to direct. Uh-oh. Traffic accidents, train wrecks, and public floggings. <laughs> so bitchy. Brutal. Bitchy list incoming. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh, well, here's, here's a good one from Jamel Bowie. This was the an mm. opinion piece in the New York Times. Oh, very so, good. Yes, as uh, recently as 2021. Mm. Quote, for as much as critics dismiss the film as expensive trash, (laughs) there is an idea here that fear and paranoia can dissolve the bonds of friendship, camaraderie, and citizenship, Mm. that they can sap us of our ability to work together and paralyze us in the face of crisis. It is an idea which in our age of misinformation, public distrust, and pandemic disease lands with heavy force. So, unquote. So it just needed its time, I think. Damn dude. Yeah. Jamel Bowie's a good writer. Yeah, really good writer. Uh, And my last one, uh, from Letterboxd user Hannah, Civic Substitute Teacher played this for us and I was terrified out of my mind. I think we had to stop watching or I left the room or something. (laughs) LMAO. (laughs) I assume they blacked out. (laughs) Yeah. I fell over. (laughs) Civics. I I had the reaction of like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, oh, no, wait, no, this is good. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let him cook. Let him cook. So funny, so irresponsible. Yeah, I'm picturing the lights off in that classroom and the TV strapped to the wheelie contraption and the teacher just sitting at their desk like... <laughs> just writing a paper. In conclusion, democracy is like a spider head yes. alien. <laughs> a goopy spider in the night. Coming for us all. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. Uh, all that's right. good stuff. I so, have one final thing I would ooh. like to pitch to you oh lay it on me i would like you to tell me your top three deaths in this movie Ooh. i want to know what you what you think about in the dead of the night <laughs> when you picture this movie inter it can be best thematically it can mm. be best effects it can be just like craziest shit most uncomfortable most suspicious it doesn't have to be even a death we see i oh, just want to know what events what? in the camp turn the tide of it for you, like, movie-wise. There's three, yeah. Yeah, right. right off the top, okay. Uh, the, I mean, okay, this is great, yes. Most visceral, most visceral great. coming in. Goopiest death. <laughs> is, I, it's still, like, I know it's coming every time, but I get a little, like, each time is fucking uh, tummy mouth uh, on Norris. Stomach thing. And biting his arms out. It's just so brutal and surprising and, like, yeah. Honorable mention to the Palmer thing getting up after, during the blood True. test, but that that one always feels like it comes at such like a fever pitch in the crisis. Yes, that it's not uh, even yeah. Norris is having a heart attack. Yeah, question mark that's <laughs> or what, faking it. That's a thing that gets cut out. I think uh, mm. I know that the idea is supposed to be it copied Norris so perfectly that it copied his heart condition. Oh yeah, I so, believe that because he's he's kind of like uh, he he's doing this a couple, couple times, times throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So that's my most visceral. I know a fun fact about visceral. You thought I was going to let it go? 
<laughs> I know a fun fact about that death is that when it bites uh, Blair's, Blair, no, uh, Doc's Covers, arms off, yeah. they're, instead of doing, like, having him, you know, put his arms behind his back and just, like, fake, the, a double amputee is a stand-in for oh. Doc, and the, the person is just wearing a Doc mask. <laughs> like, not convincing, but obviously you're focusing on the, ar- the bloodied arm stumps of this, like, horrible... Thing that's happening and it's all happening so fast you're not looking at the guy's fucking face yeah. so oh, that's, that's great fun. yeah a crazy aside here i was reading uh this has nothing to do with anything so feel free to cut this out there was a, a interview of director takeshi katano recently about some i think it's a movie of his coming out yeah something i don't know uh and the daughter of kurosawa's like his costuming person or makeup person oh, something nice. like that and they're, he's talking about how, like, he was doing this one shot, and he's like, oh, none of the costumes fit right. Everybody looks weird in their costumes. It's not right. It's like a period thing. Yeah, he's sure. like, oh, it just doesn't work, but we have to shoot it right now. And Kurosawa's daughter said, uh, I wish I could remember her name. Um, she said to him, like, oh, this is when my, gra- my, my father would, like, release a dog, because everyone's going to watch the dog, and nobody's going to watch the ill-fitting... <laughs> stuff uh, and, and he's like oh that's an amazing idea where do we get a dog we gotta like shoot this right now and then a stray ran past and they're like oh let's oh get that God. dog and the quote that I love was like uh, everybody got bit and we had a terrible time <laughs> just proving you cannot copy Kurosawa nope, yeah. can't be done you can get bit <laughs> everybody got bit we had a terrible time <laughs> the costumes still look bad <laughs> yeah oh, and ultimately fuck. They didn't didn't even blood. solve anything yet. Anyway, that's, so that's my most visceral, for sure. Yes. Uh, most, like, most affecting in the, like, oh, this is out of control. That feels like we, if it was manageable before, it mm, no longer is. Yeah. Is Fuchs's uh, off-screen death. Sure. Of, like, just finding his body being like, yeah. what could we have happened? We don't know. Yeah, and we I no longer understand. that we don't get any answers. Love that. That's great. That's a good, like benchmark for the movie that's when it feels it's like it before goes off and the after cliff. yeah 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 uh and the mo- the one that like sticks in my mind as just like most set pc of it is because i mentioned it feels very ritualistic is them burning bennings yeah like that standing in the circle that combination of like it feels like all the exposition snaps together to be like oh i understand now now that i've seen somebody halfway through the transformation he doesn't have his voice or hands yet and everything else is taken care of yeah you know what um who is it i think it's fuchs runs up mm. when he realizes when he like sees bennings or, or whatever who sees bennings turn windows. windows runs up and i think it's mccready and childs are having a little snit about yeah. something all he says is it's Bennings. And everyone understands what yeah. that means by that point in the movie. Like, mm. that's the, like, the next thing has happened. Yeah. We all understand now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are good. So those are my three. What do Great. you got? <laughs> uh, the one, so the one that I think is the most visceral in terms of, like, I don't like to think about it very much is the Bennings death. Because oh, sure. it's, it's just so, like, you just see the tentacles coming into and out of everywhere and, like... So you're the actual death of the human bending is not the monster bending. Yes, yeah, sure. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, okay. yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that, don't care for that. Um, <laughs> visceral in a, like, I'm a human with a human body way. Like, leave my meat alone. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I need my meat. Um, <laughs> the coolest one, I think, is always going to be the the uh, Norris head. Mm, the sp- spider head, head spider. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's an intense like i think this is the first time you know when the the creature kind of 
leaps out of his stomach cavity and it's got his face but it's clinging to the air duct yeah. you're expecting to see something like you saw before where the face peels apart and it's got blah, tentacles this is oh it's chaos it's random we're never gonna see this happen the same way twice mm. holy fuck we can't like plan for what it's gonna do <laughs> yeah. and then to see the, the head spider on top of that and you have that comedy moment of it skittering away <laughs> behind them and they just go you gotta be fucking kidding <laughs> just like just you gotta laugh yeah kind like, of, that's you know? of like i have no idea I'm what life is done yeah and to hammer home my my thing about only palmer is a thing at that point he sees it first and he waits for somebody else yes. to see it before he goes yeah before he says are you fucking kidding me yeah true yeah. he was gonna let it go yeah <laughs> good cover on his part too. yeah 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 and then i think the the one that's just like the most thematic kind of is when it gets Gary at the end because it's Blair at that point and he just steps out from behind a corner and he puts his hand over Gary's mouth and starts merging with his face that's hard to watch that's a real like I want you to watch this happen I'm gonna make it so you can't scream and you're gonna be awake and alive for this whole experience and the Blair thing's nonchalance like he's just got his hand there and he like looks to see if anybody's looking and he's Back well, to Gary's what he's doing. struggling, yeah, and it's so like it's this guy who's shorter than Gary, and mm. he's just holding him by the face, and Gary can't get away. I a thing that's like trapped in my mind forever is after that merging happens and mm. him walking away and dragging oh. him by the face. Yeah. yeah, oh, that's that's brutal. That's a bad one. <laughs> so, <laughs> top three, baby. Good stuff. Yeah. I like that we had three different ones each. Yeah. Look at us go. There's something for everybody in the thing. <laughs> There's a different brutal kill for the whole family. That's movie magic. <laughs> Cinema. Well, I think that'll do us for the general discussion, or the round table. For yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, so I know that it's hard to do this with this movie because it is on purpose so ambiguous but sure. i'd love to hear your takeaway on everything i mean we've we've talked about it kind of a little bit and i think that uh that review that i had from jim lb really mm. really spoke to it for me where it's about yeah it's the exact opposite of like a, a community banding together to fight the menace like this community hates each other <laughs> they don't care they're just out they're out for themselves and they'll help everybody else in as much as it helps them yeah and it's kind of a thankless job to care whether or not people live (laughs) is uh, kind of the, you know, you can get along perfectly happily on your own until you need someone else's help and they're not willing to give it. And then you're like, Oh, this isn't a good system. (laughs) (laughs) Keep an eye out is what McCready keeps saying. That's not a, that's not a method. That's not an approach. It's advice. It's yeah. It's fine advice. It's not a, uh, it's, it's not a, a way of doing things. Uh-uh. Yeah. So it, I, I love the very clear, like, there is obviously a right answer to this situation. And it's that you you care whether or not other people get thinged. And you want them to not get thinged. But the reason you would want them to not get thinged is so that you don't get thinged. There's also yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. A lot of it is just self-preservation. And ultimately, like... They have to be lucky all the time. The thing only has to be lucky once <laughs> yeah. is the idea, right? 
and just that that really that the beating down that that must give you like emotionally and psychically of like you are constantly under siege and just everything about this movie is geared to make you feel threatened like the weather is terrible it actually affects the plot of like mac doesn't want to fly because the weather is too shit and like you might just die flying to the norwegian camp to find out what happened well and towards the back end of the movie nobody wants to even go outside because they don't want to get lost in the, in yeah, the storm and which, freeze to death in two of the endings is what happened happens to childs pretty much yeah if he's human yeah. yeah 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 and and it's just like the you can hear the howls of the wind and you can see where the snow is accumulated and like there's frost on everything and like the the icicles everywhere and the colors of it and, and the way it's shot where you can see this void outside and there's no one coming to help them mm. just that constant psychic attack of like you're not safe you're not safe you're not safe everything in your environment is telling you you're not safe and then you also have an alien <laughs> is very like you kind of don't blame them for breaking down it's just a character study and like yeah this would happen to you too you like know? the the we talked about already when we know it's been about 48 hours since the storm mm -hmm. has started thinking about what they've been through in those 48 hours then the last thing we hear is mccready being saying about copper child is it yeah copper childs and palmer or i can't remember who the three are that gets strapped to the couch They've oh, been right. strapped to a couch for over two days, being shot up constantly with morphine. That's right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is nuts. That's Cause, bananas cause to do to someone. Because they haven't figured out a way to figure it out. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're just trying their best. Yeah. yeah. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. Yeah. So it, I, I, it's really this, like, when you have such an overarching, like, everything around you hates you. Mm. Obviously, what you're going to do is retreat into this little, you know, it's it's human nature. And yeah. that's that's unfortunate for us. <laughs> great, great for the thing. Great for entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely entertainment. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just a real, like, a movie that just bombards you constantly with mm. this threat. And, uh, and that's before an alien even steps into the picture. It's just yeah. great. Yeah. Goddamn. And you? Well, me. Ditto. <laughs> uh, no, the, Great. I I feel like I rarely understand when people use this phrase, but it, the the sense of this movie is something very primordial to me, mm. where it's like base human level. Yeah, sure. Like, you got to keep your meat safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, save your meat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it, we've been sitting and examining this movie for like an hourish now, mm. and it's messy. The craft is very good, but if you try to like put it in the frame of a regular story, it's kind of like. It's 12 it's guys so talking dissected. to each other. Yeah, yeah, 12 guys talking and not sure where everybody is. That's yeah, it. They talk, Carpenter talks about the amount of, like, reshoots they had to do with just, like, Kurt Russell explaining what's happening to, like, grab, like, his speech outside where he's, like... I know I'm human. Yeah, and I know that some of you are human. Like, that was added after the fact because they're, like, it's getting oh. too all over the place. Oh, we can't tell sure. yeah. really what's... We need, like, a pinch point, kind of. Um, Fair. Where, yeah, like, it... it almost doesn't hold together logically like it it really feels like more of a yeah human it's, behavior it's, study yeah <laughs> true else. it's more just like you just don't have in, enough information to, yeah to tell one way or the other but what it what i find the most interesting about it like obviously effects are amazing obviously performances are fun like it's obviously great in a lot of ways yeah but the thing that i love that it does that almost no other movie i know of does is what does a crisis look like when eyes are not on you 
like when eyes are not when when the public isn't seeing oh. what your crisis is yeah, yeah how yeah, are yeah. you internally managing it without that particular pressure right because whenever i think about this type of movie i think about like oh with public pressure on what what are we gonna do we have to worry about optics this is what if that type of crisis scenario with no optics sure yeah and it's just up to how you what you're willing to live with yeah yeah. Like, we know next to nothing about any of these people. Like, until I looked at this, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they probably have jobs there. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that's clear is Gary is the, the head the and Copper's a doctor. Yeah. And McCready's and a helicopter the pilot. pilot. Yeah. But, like, I definitely thought that Palmer was a helicopter pilot. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> he could be, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he's I know in the spare time. Yeah. yeah. Um, no one gets any real characterization, which was a, like thing critics talked about at the time mm. but then it comes down to like what do you consider characterization it's... i would argue it does in the sense that not everybody is going to be this defined like primary color characterization yeah but i think that's why it's in the reactions to each other that's, exactly that's yes. where they care that's where it comes from as opposed to it's a reactionary movie as opposed to an action movie like, right yeah the McCready emerging as the hero takes like half of the movie and he clearly doesn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Hero <laughs> is even maybe a strong word. <laughs> yeah, that's how they talk about it. Just because uh, yeah, they need yeah. the... the and like, they're shooting the movie before they're deciding, oh, it's going to be Kurt Russell as the hero. Like they, They're getting that far along. That's funny. Um, but it's the decision-making and suspicion of motives mm. that causes all the friction and it, it asks you, the viewer, what does it matter who any of these people are this is just, oh, a person might have that problem with another person, is all it is. It's not, yeah. this character would have this problem with this character. It's just, okay, here's a, a loose assemblage of motives and thoughts applied against this other force. And we've all um, seen somebody like each of those people. Exactly. We all yeah. know, we are one of those people, yeah. Yes. I, I'm a bit of a McCready now. I... Uh, <laughs> the hair and the beard, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Give I've a... seen you in, mm. like, October 2020. That was your look. Yes, it was. Oh, my God, it was. Yeah, yeah. it was, actually. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's my thoughts. It's just that it is, honestly, when I saw that Civics a teacher review, that really snapped into place of, like, uh, yeah, this is a movie about just conversations and decision-making. Yeah, this is that, like basics of almost literally cellular level yeah. community building or not yeah and it's almost like how do you make the worst decisions yeah. <laughs> get handed the worst situation possible yeah. yeah yeah nice so that's my thoughts i love it and now uh we'll turn it over to double bill this little friend of ours little big friend of ours this movie that we love do you think that the thing absorbs everybody's volume as well? Because it's huge at the end. It's got to come from somewhere, right? Like mass-wise? Yeah, I do. It's absorbing. I like... think about this with the dogs. Like, yeah. oh, is it going to like make one super dog to take over? <laughs> like, <laughs> That'd be an awesome end. <laughs> but like they did, Blair describes it as digesting the other dogs yeah. and we stopped it before it finished. Right. Like, Okay, so maybe it does break down the road. Yeah, yeah. anyway. Who can say? I just love the massive, like, Blair Dog thing at the end. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's got a real, like, will you obey the laws of thermodynamics, yeah, exactly. my friend? Yeah. <laughs> Whom can say? <laughs> yes. Double billing. Yes, double billing. 
you said our little friend and i was like not oh. not so much by the end is it <laughs> i love uh him just it's like like doing its little shriek and he just goes yeah fuck you too <laughs> it's really the only response you can have yeah, to this thing you can try and fit in a cool line you can no, try to not and be you can, stoic you can hear the beat where a, a cool one-liner would go oh fuck you buddy <laughs> you're a piece of shit you bro you suck of shit yeah <laughs> I love it. Anyway, uh, shall I go first? Yes, please. I'd like to go first. Uh, I'm going to pair this with another movie about, like, people in a life-threatening situation Mm. and, like, unsure who they can trust. And this very ticking clock sense of, like, the longer you wait, the more likely it is you're going to fail because the enemy has the advantage of, like, they can wait you out. They have more resources. Mm. They have more... They're higher powered than you are in this sense. Same atmosphere of like danger in the environment where like even if this specific problem wasn't a problem, you're still in this very precarious, dangerous situation Hmm. where like one wrong move is kind of the end of you. Um, And it's about people who can be like showing that people can be easily paralyzed or like hardened by fear and and paranoia and start making selfish choices that like it works for them in the short run but then like makes everything worse for everybody in the (laughs) long run you know what i mean yep i'm gonna pair this with a more serious what i'm considering the more arty movie but i also like this movie because it is a little trashy as well i'm gonna pair it with pair it with the black book uh the 2006 world war ii espionage thriller comedy (laughs) not comedy but like thriller drama from yeah. from Paul Verhoeven and it has therefore that Paul Verhoeven little, say, little trashy bent to it's it. It's not that it's a comedy it's that it's Paul Verhoeven directing it's it. It's <laughs> Yes exactly. <laughs> is it funny or is it just Verhoeven? <laughs> yes exactly. So it's about okay. this like this I think a Dutch Jewish woman who escapes yeah. a massacre in the early days of the war and eventually ends up going undercover as like a lounge singer kind of thing in a Nazi stronghold. And all of the, the the many, you know, familiar twists and turns of a, an undercover world war two thing of like, can you trust this person? Can you trust this person? And Mm. eventually it just comes down to like a lot of people just wanted to get slightly richer and, and fuck off out of the situation because they knew they couldn't solve it on their own. And it was harder to work with people and trust people more dangerous for them to then to just fuck off and like grab the money and run. Yeah. And so they just grabbed the money and run and that made everything worse for everybody in the long run. As it always does. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Carice Van Houten's really very yeah. good in that. I don't know yeah. that I know her much from, from much else. I know she's a big Dutch right. actress, but that, yeah, she's excellent in that. It's yeah. a fantastic film. And it's like one of, you know, it's a really like, like everyone in the Netherlands is like so proud of this movie. Like it's it's a, a it's really a like, great movie. It's, a, it's a great movie for sure. And it's got those just like, these are just people in situations. <laughs> but, you know, even if this exact... You could pretend that, like, I'll just put my head down and everything will be fine. You still might die. Like, you have to do something. You have to do something now. And it's so hard. And that's not what people are wired to do. Yeah. Um, And the danger is, like, constantly around you. And and do you just bury your head in the sand or no? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, like, the mistrust angle, especially. Yes. There's so much, like, this person is acting really sus. And a lot of, like, Does that mean anything? You, the viewer, know where Carice Van Houten's at, but then you're yeah. like, well, how does, even, how good do I feel about these resistance types? Yeah. Was, yeah. Or about her, quite honestly. Like, yeah. you, you, there yeah, are many you, instances where she's like, I could just, you know, I could just abandon this and, and 
be like, well, I'm not actually killing people, so I'm not a Nazi, mm. quote unquote. Yeah. But, but there is a certain, like, it could just be easier for me if yeah. I just gave them up. The mistrust angle makes me think of, um, a th- and I like this pairing a lot. I wouldn't have thought of that at all. Black Book is so good. Um, <laughs> the thing that I forgot to mention, one of the reasons that Carpenter was not into making this movie initially was that he loves the Howard Hawks movie. Oh, okay. Um, and he was We like, should really see that. Yeah, at some point. Like, he he references it in Halloween. Like, it's the movie that they're watching in Halloween. Oh, okay. Because, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he loves it so much and he loves... Um, he loves it enough that he was like, this doesn't need a remake. Like yeah. he, at first he was like, I'm pulling the plug on this. Okay. But then they're like, read the story. We want to make the story. Yeah. And he read the story and he was like, oh, if I take it as like, it's a, it's a monster movie, Howard Hawks's version. Yeah. He's like, oh, I want to make a movie that's about mistrusting people. Yes. That yeah. was his angle he wanted to take. So I feel like John Carpenter would like that angle. Nice. I feel like Verhoeven so. and Carpenter have like something similar about them. There's some DNA yeah. there in common. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Nice. That's my pairing. I guess you could substitute like really any any sufficiently tense World War II undercover espionage thriller. Yeah. But this one in particular just feels so like she gets so punished for doing what she did, even though you're like, it's kind of the only thing you could do at the time. Yeah. People turn on her. People turn on each other a lot in this. There's you know that. I mean? And I think there is, it plays a lot more in the ambiguous spaces yeah. than a lot of clear good evil yeah. World War II movies do. Like yeah, the I only think that's other one kind of thing of it. it's not even that ambiguous it's more ambiguous what's happening is army of shadows the melville i did think about yeah. that but it's too depressing and <laughs> and i've already paired it with something so and i don't want to think about it i oh, don't yes. wish to <laughs> so yeah what well, about you well me i really got into this like okay when you're managing a crisis that's only affecting you you're behind closed doors mm. and it's not important the characters almost it's just what the character thinks i know that's barely a distinguishing yeah, yeah, like, it is just this is this is using these feelings as a jumping off point to be like check out this cool friction um so i'm pairing this with one of the best argument movies of all time that involves a bunch of men locked in a room a movie that was surprised we haven't talked about much on this show considering how much we both love it <laughs> if it's what i'm thinking yeah i'm also surprised <laughs> yeah i thought for sure it would be when i went through the archives it's never come up it's sydney Lumet's 1957 12 angry men uh, the best yes, that's so great good. that's great it's a movie that oh, you know yeah. both of them you know exactly where they're headed 100 percent of the time yeah and it's just about who's gonna do what when <laughs> yeah uh, i say that <laughs> as a rewatch turn when? thing of like yes. you should engaging with both of these movies should feel like a, oh, I know what's going to happen. I don't need to rewatch that. But it's more of a, like, I can't wait to watch the thing happen yes, again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's so... I can't wait to trace the the path of it. Yeah. Yeah. And The Twelve Angry Men is the optimistic version to the thing's pessimistic version, where <laughs> it is, let's unite against this, the strongest force that man has to deal with, which is racism. Institutional racism. <laughs> and, well, and I guess uh, Frat's father-son relationship. True, so. yeah. Um, <laughs> the second most powerful force in the <laughs> That doesn't come up as much in the thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> they're both bizarrely only involved men, uh, which yeah. is a thing I can't not think about all the time watching both of them. Uh, but The computer is a woman. <laughs> and I guess he master? calls her a cheating bitch and oh, then yes. uh, fries her. So maybe it's not a good example. Yeah, yeah. Not, uh... Yes. <laughs> yeah, so like the other ones I was thinking, I was thinking of like, I was thinking of Alien. Like this doesn't this yep. movie doesn't feel that divorced from Alien. I no. was also thinking about how to yeah. blow up a pipeline because that's kind of mm. we're banding mm. together from different backgrounds. But none True. of them captured this 
let's just sit in a room and hash this out. Yeah. The same way that the thing does, where... You have to get everything out in the open. Yeah, and part of the whole deal is the claustrophobia and the fact that we can't leave. Yes, yeah, great bottle episodes, both of them, yeah. And, like, you get a little bits of relief here and there, you get little peeks into where you're heading. Mm -hmm. But it's... I was thinking about this in the way of 12 Angry Men having... Each time Henry Fonda wins somebody to his side, it's like the thing killed somebody. It's like, oh, you're no longer in consideration. <laughs> you're safe. Put him in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yes, reverse thinging people. Yeah, or the, the blood test portion where it's like each time a blood successful blood test, you're like, okay, now you're on the good side. Yes. Yeah. Okay, phew, we don't yeah. need to worry about you. Yeah, 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 yeah true. And uh, I, lo- I could... Both of these are movies I could throw on at any point and watch them beginning to end and not think about anything else. Just yeah, wholly 100%. absorbing. And they start really... Like, the thing doesn't exactly start slow, but it starts like, okay, and... <laughs> like, there's a lot of... there. There's what feels like setup, but then you realize it's been happening in the background this whole time. Yeah. And that is kind of 12 Angry Men. I'm almost surprised at, like, this just starts really slow. And then you realize, no, this has been... The wheels are turning already. <laughs> and I mean, these are not related at all, but I have the same feeling about the ritual stand around roast bendings as I do about the knife in 12 Angry Men, Ugh. where it's like something is changing yes, here. Yes, yeah. You can feel the energy in yeah. the room be different. Yeah, We have Fuck passed a point, like nobody is coming back from this. Yes. This is the great the, doubt. The rules are changed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fuck, that's so good. <laughs> I love watching that movie with people for the first time, and when the knife comes out, you're like, you see people like throw their hands up or like, Wah! and if you haven't seen Twelve Angry Men, that's not that much of a spoiler because I there's know there's a knife in it. Yeah, there's a knife in it, and I know that you told your you recently saw this with your family, yeah. and you told them about the knife part, and it was kind of a like, okay, yeah, and then they watched and they were like, fuck yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, so that's my uh, that's my pairing, and nice. I think it's very interesting. When I went into the archives to double check, I hadn't uh, paired this with anything else. That is unusual for the us. The only other time a Lumet movie has come up is when we've done a Carpenter movie. No way. Uh, the only time we've double billed it. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, really? When we did They Live, I paired Network with it. That's so specific. Yeah. Okay. Like, more to come on this, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be watching. Weird. Lumet is, in, is like more of a chameleon in my mind, though. Like, I yeah. I watch a movie at the end. I'm like, why did I like that so much? Oh, it's a Lumet movie. I yeah, guess. yeah. More than, oh, this is a Carpenter movie through and through. Like, it's not That's something you watch and you're like, this is a Lumet movie. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see if that trend continues. Yeah. Got to explore more more Lumets, I guess. I need more data points. In the next 100 episodes of Garden. <laughs> a Lumet movie every week. <laughs> I don't hate that idea. I'd be fine with that, to be honest. Yeah. All right. That's what this podcast is now. Oh, yep. Nice. Uh, nice. Thanks well, for joining us for this episode, everyone. We yeah. uh, love you all for sticking with us for however many episodes. We're happy to celebrate, question mark, with all of you. Yeah. And, it's been uh, a wild ride. I guess in another hundred episodes, we'll do another John Carpenter movie. Yeah. <laughs> They're little treats. In like two years or whatever. At the Fuck yeah. Our, our current <laughs> rate. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, we do appreciate everybody listening. It makes us very happy to talk with y'all about movies. Yeah. So uh, do that with us on Instagram at GarbagePod. Ooh, that's smooth. Smooth. <laughs> That's what we call a segue. And when we eventually post on Blue Sky, I forget our uh, handle there. I think it's still gar- garbage pod. Okay. Right? You'll find us. 
You'll know it's us because there's currently nothing posted. You'll see the garbage can and a complete <laughs> absence of content, as is the hallmark of our show. <laughs> and I hope that you will come back and join us next time for the next hundred or more or less, your choice, episodes, piles of garbage. I saved it. <laughs> Throw it on the fire with Bennings. <laughs> oh. gentlemen have been through a lot and when you find the time I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch